Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you again today for an interview and another exciting interview, a bit more of a behind-the-scenes look at an aspect of the Olympics that we've never really talked about. We're going to talk a little bit more about ticketing for the Olympics. This is a, a very fascinating part of an Olympic Games, of course. Without tickets, you can't go and watch the event, and without watching the event, you don't have any fans at the Olympics, which... I know right now after Tokyo seems almost like the norm, but generally we have fans at an Olympics. And we're talking today to the COO of Ticket Manager, Ken Hanscom, an American who has been very much involved in ticketing over the Olympics over the last decade or so and shares his experiences in not only attending the Games, but how ticketing works, his involvement with Ticket Manager and how he's able to help companies get that Olympic experience. And it's really a fascinating chat here because it sounds like a simple exercise, buying a ticket to an Olympic Games. Cool. I'm just going to go online and buy a ticket and boom, I'm going to an Olympic Games. Not quite that simple. So Ken goes into the explanation here about how generally it works, how the challenges have been, not only for, of course, Tokyo with no fans, but even the last couple of Olympic Games, including Pyeongchang and Rio, and how things are looking ahead of Beijing, Paris, and even moving forward into Los Angeles. And the interest that has already been shown by Olympic fans out there for Brisbane, we're 11 years away, but there are already people putting their hands up, basically going, I want tickets for Brisbane in 2032. So it's a it's a great chat here with Ken, learning a little bit more about it, and I know you're going to enjoy every single second of it. So here is our chat with Olympic ticketing expert Ken Hanscom. I'm always excited on off the podium to learn about many different aspects around the Olympics. We obviously have a lot of Olympians on the show. We've spoken to some journalists. We've spoken to marketing experts. We learn so many different things about the wonderful world of the Olympics. And I'm very excited to talk to today's guest. He is the COO of Ticket Manager, a very interesting service and company that provides some great services and things out there for people to do with many different sports and has a very big connection to the Olympics as well. He's also renowned as a bit of an Olympics expert, which I always like to have one Olympic expert on this show. Not this guy that's talking right now because uh, I pretend to be an expert, but I pretend to be a lot of things right now. So, of course, it's uh, always dependent on getting real experts on this show to make me seem smarter than I am sometimes. I'm not sure I'm going with this introduction. Let's introduce a real expert. It's Ken Hanscom. Ken, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, Thanks, Ben. Uh, Glad to be here for today. I, uh, I don't know where I was going with that introduction. It really kind of it starts off well in my head and then it kind of fades down and then I realize, I don't know what I'm saying. But uh, how how do you describe to people what you do? I, I, I'm intrigued to kind of hear this because you've, you're a man of many hats. You, you kind of are involved in many yeah. different things. So what's the best way to describe what Ken Hanscom does? 
Well, I, th I think, you know, what I do is, is uh, you know, I work for a company. My company, what we do is we help uh, corporations manage all of their live entertainment. So it can be sporting events. It can be large events. It can be hospitality. It can mean doing big things like uh, the Olympic Games. And uh, most of the Fortune 500 use our software and our services uh, to be able to make sure that they're getting the most out of all of those assets, right? They want to make sure that their top customers are the ones that are be ta being taken to the Olympics, uh, to the Super Bowl, to the FIFA World Cup. And what our software does is partner with whatever CRM, whatever tools or other things they use to manage and run and market their business to help them do that. And so that's, you know, that's what my day to day is. You know, um, I have a background in software and technology, worked for Intuit for a number of years before I moved over here. So lots of, uh, you know, startups, lots of mergers and acquisitions and, you know, really uh, moved over, you know, about five, six years ago to more of the sports entertainment world, because that's where a lot of my passions, including the Olympics, really are at. So where did this passion then for not only sports come from, but mainly the Olympics? Was it just something that you've always had and kind of fell into it through your career or was this something that you discovered along the way? Yeah, you know, I always think back to the 1984 Olympics, Los Angeles, and I remember sitting around the TV with my family watching Carl Lewis win four gold medals, watching Mary Lou Retton, you know, watching Team USA and, and very early on. And then I swam all the way through high school. Now, I'm not six foot seven, like, you know, some of these guys like Nathan Adrian out there <laughs> with, you know, some of these great talent and in, uh, in genetics to do that. But, you know, very, very close to that. And my wife um, also had a similar experience growing up and a similar passion. And, you know, for the longest time together, it's something we wanted to do. And we ended up going to London 2012 on a whim. Uh, but we were fortunate enough to, to kind of scrape our way to do 17 events in 10 days. Wow. And that really just ignited, uh, you know, the passion that we had. And, you know, we've invested both, uh, you know, good portions of our time, but also um, our financial commitments. We both, you know, in the last few years became trustees of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Foundation, among other things, because we want to support, you know, athletes and, and their goals and their dreams uh, to participate in the Olympic Games. So when you decide to go to London, I mean, First of all, what's that experience like? And what's that experience like then as a fan to try and go to an Olympics to see the amount of events you did? Yeah. I mean, was it a was it an easy experience? Kind of was this an experience that led you to, I guess, develop some software to make it a, an easier experience moving forward for people wanting to go to an Olympics? Yeah, it's, it's a great, great question, Ben. You know, I think when everyone looks at going to an Olympics game, it seems very daunting, right? You hear how expensive it is. You hear how difficult it is that there's no tickets available that you can't do all of, all of these things, and you know that's that's kind of what I learned through that experience and why I run and work with some folks on are running Facebook groups that help thousands of people go to the Olympics for each cycle. With you know starting starting with Rio, but for for me it was just learning when tickets got released, and so I would get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, you know when when the U.S. tickets got uh, released, and I would stay up till. 1 a.m. midnight when the tickets in London got released. And wow. I would do that every single night until I got the event. So I was committed uh, to doing that. So it definitely was an investment. And what I learned from over that time and also have a technology background is I learned that I knew a lot more about, uh, you know, getting access to tickets, events, and even lodging than a lot of people did. And so as I learned that, and then I happened to join this company that I also wanted to really kind of help, you know, uh, kind of further what, what I did in the space, I just started writing. I started, you know, talking on Twitter, and very quickly became uh, one of the people that you know people respect and come to when it comes to, you know, whether it's finding tickets, getting the latest information. Now we're dealing with refund situations. 
But as we look, whether it's towards Beijing, towards Paris, you know, there's lots of different groups where, you know, I think the Paris group is already a thousand people who wow. now are, you know, still three years in advance, people already planning uh, to go to Paris. And we have groups all the way up to, I think, Brisbane now, 2032, that, that are already forming. Wow, well, it's good to see that 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 um that passion's there all the way through. Now that Brisbane's obviously being announced, I, I remember as a kid in the lead up to Sydney that when the tickets got announced, it, you had to buy the newspaper, and then you got yeah. a lift out sort of magazine where it was like, okay, these are the sports, these are the days. Tick yeah. a box, and then you posted it in, and I think it was a ballot. And then basically, if you were lucky enough to get in, then you got another letter saying, "Cool, your your name's been drawn. You're going to the swimming or something along those lines." I can imagine that ticketing for an Olympics has moved on a little bit more than that. Uh, you know, twenty odd years later. So, so when you were getting up, sort of at those times to try and get tickets for London, was it sort of like a ballot thing? Do certain countries get given a, an allocated amount? I mean, how does it generally work? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. As much as you might think it's changed over the last you know twenty years or so, it really hasn't changed very much. But it will, and it's going to change. I think over the next four years, and we'll see that. So, so I'll talk a little bit about that as well. But generally, there are three phases to the Olympic ticketing cycle. Roughly somewhere around eighteen months in advance of an Olympic Games, whether it's summer or winter, there will be a ballot or a lottery process. And so, usually, what an Olympic committee, uh, you know, organizing committee will do is they will work with uh, the IOC and others to say, hey, allocations are gonna be here, right? Roughly 70% of all tickets go to the host nation. But then, you know, and then 10% goes to sponsors, right? And then those numbers can be kind of, kind of, you know, fudged around and they move back and forth depending on use, but these are general numbers. But then 20% get distributed internationally. So me as someone in the US, I can only buy from the US Olympic Committee and through their agent, which happens to be Coastport. So whatever allocation the U.S. gets, at least in this first phase, I have an opportunity to, to apply for. And based on that, it's, it's a lottery process. So that's kind of the first phase. Then we get to around a year to go, um, and maybe six months to go, and we start opening and kind of, you know, what happens is these, these get released out in phases. You know, we're usually, and like I said, there's three phases. There's this initial lottery period. There's kind of a open sales period where it's just free for all. As they get loaded, we all hope to get in and maybe there's a waiting room, but it says, you know, really how quick you can click. And if you can click quicker than other people, faster than other people, you can get to them. And the last phase is just slowly over time as different committees can't use them, they just slowly get distributed out. So those are kind of the three phases that I think that we've experienced up through Tokyo. If and when they do tickets for Beijing, we might see a similar, although there is speculation that Beijing is all going to be direct ticketing at this point. Uh, who knows how that will be? And I think we're really going to see it significantly change with Paris 2024 and the recent deal that the IOC signed with on location experiences for all of the premium kind of inventory and all the packages. So when you say it looks as though Beijing might have direct ticketing, is that more of a case of you can just walk up to a box office and buy tickets? Is, is that what that means? Or is it something a little yeah, bit different? Or you potentially go to the Beijing site. And so, right. for example, with both Rio and Pyeongchang, about, about 90 days before it started, uh, basically, you could actually then instead of going through your local, you know, what they call authorized reseller in the U.S., I think in Australia, it's Coastport, uh, you would actually be able to go directly to the, you know, to the Beijing 2022 website. In these cases, it was Rio 2016, Pyeongchang 2018, and you could buy directly. One of the advantages of that is that you were able to see the actual seats and rows. 
when you buy through agents, what you usually buy is a category of tickets. And so you really don't know where you're going to be sitting. You could be sitting in the very best of best of that category or maybe the worst of that category. But when you generally go direct, what you end up finding is that you can actually pick the, you know, the actual seats in the rows that you want to sit in. Because I guess nowadays, um, you know, people are so used to that experience, aren't they, buying tickets online? I mean, we often, depending on what you're buying tickets to, you can almost have that sort of fan view, can't you, where you actually are seeing this is what you're seeing from your seat. So I kind of, I guess a lot of fans are almost used to that now, aren't they? I think it's general expectation. I think we just haven't seen it yet really hit FIFA um, and and hit the Olympics yet in terms of their ticketing, just because I think there's a lot of different things that are in play internationally um, as all these tickets are, are moving around. Oftentimes, if you're selling 12 to 18 months in advance, you may not know the official, you know, venue capacity because some of these venues are still being constructed and maybe a couple of rows disappear from here or there. And so I think that's oftentimes why we don't see that same level of kind of, hey, the view from your seat that you might see with general events, whether it's, you know, football, soccer, baseball, you know, cricket, any of the other sorts of sports out there. When you and your wife went to London and you, you jam-packed all those events into such a short period of time, I mean, yeah. uh, what what did you see? What were the highlights? Yeah, you know, I think any planning starts with an itinerary. And I think what first-time Olympic visitors or, you know, fans uh, often do is they try to they pack too many events into a single day and don't account for the time-to-time, you know, to travel between all the various sites. And I think, you know, what we tried to do is we tried to do roughly two events per day. Uh, and as part of that, you know, we did do three events in one day and that was, that was pretty grueling to be able to do that. But we saw everything from Michael Phelps kind of first last swim, the team USA basketball, the closing ceremony. Uh, you know, we saw the four by 100, you know, uh, you know, track, uh, athletics race with both, you know, really kind of actually, I think cruising around team USA <laughs> to kind of finish that off and, and win a gold medal there. So we kind of just tried to take in as much, much as, as we could during that kind of second week uh, of, of the Olympics. Saw the uh, gold medal soccer game for women's. Uh, so saw U.S. play Japan and that. So really what we were doing is we're trying to get a taste of a lot of different events. We saw some things that we had never experienced before. Uh, we'd never gone to a field hockey game. We'd never gone, seen handball played in person. So I think that's something as we continue to go is every single Olympics, what we try to do is see the new sports that come out. And even if we're not a fan of that sport, just because it's new and sometimes we don't know how long, that sport will be around. What we do is we really kind of, you know, try to see everything that that's new as well. Which is fantastic on so many levels. I mean, obviously being American and getting to see America win so many medals, it's always kind of a, it's a, it's a positive, but also, yeah, some of these sports, like, I mean, getting to see handball would be absolutely incredible. That's on my bucket list of going to an Olympics one day to see handball live. That sport's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, you watch teams of the best in the world and heck, even the U.S. I don't even think was in that tournament. A tournament and so we see france you know france i think at the time was one of the better teams had the opportunity to see them in pool play which was fantastic what what did you think of field hockey ken i mean i come from a country that's that was my sport growing up obviously it's a bit more prominent here but i realized in your part of the world not i mean a bit different to ice hockey clearly but did you <laughs> did you enjoy it <laughs> yeah i mean it, it was it was interesting so i think part of it was learning the rules and so you know whether you're looking at something like lacrosse or ice hockey or some of the different things and i think for us you know first half of the game because we didn't have time to read up on it was actually saying, hey, well, what is that kind of call there? And, you know, <laughs> wh- wh- why are they, you know, restarting with, I don't know if it's, it's called a face-off or not in, in, in field hockey, but, 
but not you know quite. what I'm saying. I right? think they should yeah, call yeah. it a face-off, though. It makes it sound more <laughs> exciting, really, doesn't it? But uh, right, right. yeah, it's. I mean, when I was living in Canada, it was interesting because obviously, yeah, you mentioned the word hockey there. They think you're thinking completely different. But it's um, it's interesting when you sort of in certain countries and you talk about sports and say maybe it's a predominantly male or female sport. And one, like it was a predominantly female sport in Canada. I don't know if it's the same in the yeah. US. So I'd mention I played field hockey, and they'd sort of look at me like, but but that's a women's sport. Like, not in Australia. It's not. We've got the best team in the world in the men. So like, yeah. it's kind of, it's sort of not quite that way. So after your experiences then, and then sort of leading in into Rio, was this kind of taking, you know, the, your expertise in the software industry, was this kind of what led you into uh, getting involved into what you are today? It, it, it didn't directly. I think it was more of, you know, I have, my wife and I've had general passion for sports, right? We've had Lakers season tickets, sports and, you know, theater, go to a lot of concerts. And so it was just more of a general, you know, approach to, hey, I was in software. I'd like to be in an industry that more aligns with the things that my wife and I like to do. The Olympics ha- happened to be something when um, I was recruited for the organization that it was able to just, you know, spend even more time, you know, kind of focusing on that, helping companies, you know, have a better experience with their Olympic programs and really making sure they were getting the most out of those sponsorship dollars, right? They spend a lot of them to take their customers, again, whether it's Olympics or FIFA World Cup or the Rugby World Cup or the Super Bowl, Companies spend a lot of money on uh, sponsorships really because it works, right? You know, it's really about sharing events with other people. Some of the best friends I have now, I met either at London or Rio. We see each other outside the games. And so you start making all those connection points, whether it's personally, but also in business. So if I'm a boss of a company and I want to go to the Olympics, either as a, a, you know, with tickets, sponsoring, all that kind of stuff. And I contact you, I'm like, Ken, you know, help me get here. Uh, what, what do you do for me? How, how do you make that happen? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we don't get involved at, generally at that point. Generally, they're going to work directly with like a U.S. Olympic Committee or the IOC, right? If they're, you know, part of the top program or the Olympic program or whether they're a Team USA sponsor. Once they've kind of put together some of those kind of key sponsorships and know they're going to be participating, what we'll do is we'll help them uh, make sure that they're able to basically track all the assets. And then what is the return on investment associated with those assets? For example, are you taking your best uh, customers to opening ceremony or taking your best customers to the gold medal basketball game? Because you'll get those assets directly from either the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, one of the international federations, uh, one of the NGBs or even the IOC, depending on what level of sponsorship and program. But we're going to do it. And if you're running any off-site hospitality or you're doing guest management or even credentialing, those are pieces we'll, we'll come in and help you guys facilitate um, those capabilities to make sure all those programs run very smoothly for you. And and is that where you're sort of getting these requests a lot? You're, you're kind of dealing with these you know partners and that to really, I guess, knuckle down what they are after with everything that you were just saying there? Yeah, and if you think about it, if, if you are, uh, you know, Wells Fargo or Federal Express or any of these larger companies, even, you know, Dow Chemical, Panasonic, you're not just doing Olympics, right? You have a multi, uh, multinational, a multi-sport type portfolio that oftentimes includes eight or nine different sports. And what we do is we help you manage that across every single of those. We have customers that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of tickets a year for various events. And what we really help them do is, is you know, that can be a lot of noise that, you know, one or two people can't just manage all of those assets. And what we do is we help them digitally do all of that to make it easy and simple for them to track and make sure they're getting the most out of those investments that they're making. How popular are the Olympics, though, in, in general, when it comes to those events that people are interested in? I mean, do the Olympics still kind of have that high regard as they are the Olympics? So kind of people are always kind of wanting to be involved in them. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, Olympics, I, I think, uh, you know, FIFA World Cup, uh, NFL football, Premier League, you know, Champions League, there's probably five or six, you know, top flight kind of sports and tournaments out there that are probably the most popular and the Olympics continue to be there. Now, we're obviously going through a time where, you know, we had a couple of the challenging, uh, uh, you know, Olympics, right? Rio 2016, you know, there was Zika, Pyeongchang 2018, there was, you know, the, the attendance wasn't real high. And of course, everyone was going all in on Tokyo. And we know how, you know, that's wound up with, you know, none of us, you know, that were planning to go as fans really having the opportunity to do that. So I think a lot of eyes are, you know, there's some eyes on, on Beijing, but that is still a lot of uncertainty there. But all eyes are really on Paris 2024. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to see uh, corporations, sponsors spend a lot of money, uh, you know, to be able to bring fans, bring fans, bring their customers uh, and bring prospects to those events. You definitely got involved in this at a very interesting time, Kim, with everything that's happened. Like, God, if, if Paris just goes ahead like normal, no challenges, you're like, God, make something happen here. I'm, I'm not used to it being normal and just kind of going ahead without a hitch. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, every Olympics seems to have a story that, that comes up. And again, it's, I think we can look back to the last eight or ten and we can we can see some sort of either problem or threat or something that was, was happening in the world. I just think that's kind of the world we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just happened to be, it was a lot more, uh, I guess, accentuated for Rio and Pyeongchang. And of course, we all know uh, the pandemic we've been living in, you know, the last, I guess, 18 months now at this point uh, and how that impacts what we do. And I think, you know, there, there's a hope that, you know, Paris becomes, uh, you know, uh, more normal or return to normal. Uh, by the time we get to that point for Olympic Summer Games. It's actually a very interesting point, thinking about this millennium. You, you think of every Olympics and they've almost had something around it. Yeah. I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to think, like, obviously, what, Salt Lake was post 9-11, Athens, well, we know the problems around that, Turin, yeah. I don't really recall too many around that, maybe Turin and Vancouver were the only ones that really, I mean, at least from this perspective, didn't really have so much around that, but I'm sure they did have their issues, so yeah. uh, I guess, yeah. It's exactly, it's kind of a handful, like one or two, and some of them had smaller, kind of more, I think, industry-specific, uh, you know, type, types of concerns, but... It, I think, you know, like, as far as you go back, you almost you'll find them with, with most Olympics at some point. So you, I'm assuming, then go to Rio, experience that sort of through everything you're yeah. doing. I mean, what, what was that experience like then going to the Rio Olympics, an Olympics that uh, were memorable and challenging on so many oh. different levels? You know, they, they were in, in a way that I think every, you know, so many people dropped out. But, you know, once you got there, it was really a phenomenal experience. I, I, I don't know if we'll ever see an Olympics where tickets to such great events were so accessible. I mean, I joke around that you can walk down the street and pick tickets up off the ground because a lot of people didn't, you know, show up. But I mean, we showed up a week before the opening ceremony and we went, were there all the way through closing ceremony. I think was final count was roughly 35 events we went to. Uh, you name it, we saw everything from, in, you know, I think we went to seven swimming finals. We went to, uh, you know, Team USA's gymnastics, both the uh, all around uh, as well as the individual uh, event. So, I mean, we saw everything we could possibly want to see. And so I'd say that was kind of a, for people who went, it often was a trip of their dreams and relatively inexpensive. I mean, you could do Rio very simply on a budget. I know people who spent less than $3,000 um, on, on a trip, you know, for, for there. And of course, you know, Olympics can be as expensive as you want, right? There are people who spend hundred, you know, a hundred thousand or more on, on their trip to Olympics. There's people that can do it for under, you know, three or 4,000. So you don't have to be, um, wealthy necessarily, you know, to be able to go in and, and enjoy the, enjoy the events. You can do it on, on a very, you know, I think would say, you know, decent budget. 
when it came to the winters, Pyeongchang, um, what was, I mean, how can you, I guess, compare a, a winters to a, to a summer? And then I guess also for your role, is that also uh, maybe not as prominent as a summer? I mean, or is there more prominence kind of when you, you're dealing with clients for, for a winter that people maybe don't understand? Yeah, it's different. You know, I would say is, is there's probably only about a 20 to 25% Olympic fan overlap, at least people who travel to the games between winter and summer. So now I have friends that only go to summers. I have friends that only go to winters. Now I have friends that, that, that go to both. I would say, you know, for me, I, I, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a Southern California kid, uh, warm weather my entire life. The first week in Pyeongchang was was cold. I mean, it was really cold. Uh, <laughs> uh, the car I was driving around, the temperature not never got above zero degrees. Wow. And I think I, I'd never experienced anything like that. Uh, opening ceremony was the coldest I've been in my life. My, my wife, uh, my wife's not able to go with me to winter games because uh, because of her job and things that happened during that time. She asked, why didn't you take more photos? I was like, I was so cold. I could not take <laughs> off my gloves to take my iPhone out and, and, and take, take pictures. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's such a, the winter is such a different experience. I think for a couple of reasons, I think, you know, the events are different. Like when you go to mountains and what you can see and what, what you can't see, I think you want to look at different events and say, I either enjoy the kind of the energy and spirit of being there, even if I can't watch as much of it. Um, and then there's other events that, that, you know, just like speed, you know, I like, I like speed skating and just hearing it, it reminds me a lot of, of track cycling, right? Which is you just hear them kind of whirring around the ice. just like you can kind of hear the, the bikes and you just, you know, it's such a great kind of visceral like experience that you have, not just what you're seeing, but also kind of what, what you're hearing as well. But I think Pyeongchang was was not well attended as well. It was it was different because it was in a pretty remote area, right? So up in the mountains was was pretty remote. The venues were pretty spread out. And then once you got down into Gangneung, uh, where you had uh, you know more of the kind of indoor events, those were clustered. There was a nice park, and you can go there. And I think one of the things that's very different about the Winter Games experience is that for used to going summer games, usually the medal ceremonies are there within the actual event. Um, or shortly thereafter, maybe it's stacked, you know, morning, evening, you know, what's different with the winter games is that yeah, every night they go to what, you know, the park or wherever that may be, and they have that celebration there. And that was a very different experience. Some parts I liked about it, some parts I didn't like about it. Because it's always one of those ones that I'm actually surprised because it always seems popular, like I, you know, kind of just watching it. So I'm always surprised the summers haven't really adopted it. But I guess kind of winters obviously don't have as many events, so they can kind of obviously do it a little bit easier than than the summers do. I mean, is it is it something that, you know, when you're there and you're able to go to the Metal Plaza that night and kind of maybe you haven't been able to go and see an event live, but you can then go and celebrate Team USA winning a gold, kind of like it adds a bit more of a, a fan experience, particularly for those who, again, who can't go to as many events as some people obviously can. Yeah, I, I think it, it varies. I think in a situation like Pyeongchang, if you were down from the mountain, uh, right, and you saw the event there, you know, uh, Gangneung, I, I don't, you know, I think a lot of people are going to rush back up the hill. Um, and then have to go through all the security, all the parking, all those things to get in to see that. So I think, you know, in a lot of places, unless you're nearby and where this this particular medal ceremony was, was in a different place. So I think oftentimes it probably catered to different fans because I think making that journey uh, in some cases can be a little bit challenging. But it does give people who weren't there for the event the opportunity to have a bit of that experience which may not be available because they also will allow people into the park or sell tickets that are just for the park, even if an event's not happening that day. 
Speaking of challenging, obviously we're in challenging <laughs> times right now and uh, the Tokyo games, the delay, no fans, everything along those lines. I mean, Ken, have you had any sleep over the last 12 months and kind of, kind of dealing with what you've had to uh, deal with uh, in your role? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's definitely been a challenging time for live events, right? And then, you know, I think we started February of this year, really live events, you know, started really, really coming back, at least, at least here in the U.S., uh, and I think, you know, one of the challenges that a lot of companies had is just kind of the planning and replanning and the uncertainty. And as I think we all saw with, with Tokyo, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty up until, what, two weeks before Tokyo, I, I was planning to still go. Uh, I still held on to my tickets. Uh, I had a way that I could get into the country uh, and potentially do that. But when they canceled fans, you know, just two weeks. And so, you know, I think at some point when you go through what most of us went through last year, you become a lot more. I don't know, understanding is the right word, uh, but you have this experience where you kind of understand you can only, you know, plan for what you can, you, you can plan for. And I think even when they, you know, some additional ticket sales happened last fall, as we got to winter, I think most of us felt like, Hey, the chances are pretty low that anything is really going to happen. I think a lot of us were hopeful. Um, so I, I say I let less, uh, I lost less sleep mainly because, uh, you know, my expectations were set pretty low. I think really what kind of, at least at a fan level, you know, outside of my job and what kind of what I do with a lot of Facebook groups, I think a lot of the uncertainty around refunds and how all those things would transpire is probably what drove a lot of people uh, to have some level of stress trying, stress trying to figure out what was going to happen with those. So, so what actually did or is happening with, with that process? Is it still sort of ongoing? Depends on where you got the tickets from. I mean, kind of, I can yeah. imagine that's a very complicated process. It, it, it's a very complicated process, and, you know, because because of the system today where you do not buy the assets directly from the Olympic, uh, you know, uh, organizing committee. What you buy them from is it's a third party who purchased them at some point from them. And so it varies country by country. Countries like Canada have gotten full refunds, and I think everybody's been paid out. And that happened, you know, some months ago or at least a few weeks ago. I think the final ones were completed. Uh, other countries, I think U.S., Australia, um, there's varying amounts that you get back. Now, if you bought packages, I think, you know, you might lose like up to 25 percent, including hotels and whatever else is the current stance, as well as you lose 20 percent or up to 20 percent, which was the, you know, uh, authorized ticket reseller that's generally collected when you purchase a ticket so i think depending on where you're at there's you know i think uh team gb they refunded everybody 100 percent. so it varies by every geography and there's you know the, you know there's different things happening so, you know some places like the u.s there's a class action lawsuit going on right now uh around some of this uh so you will see like for me uh who i just found out what uh, two weeks before the Olympic games i wasn't going to go I, and when, when they fully got canceled i haven't got my refund uh, back I think the expectation that Coast Board has set is roughly, you know, third quarter of this year. So we'll, we'll see, you know, that expectation would mean I would see before the end of September. We'll kind of see what happens with that. So, yeah, so there's a lot of, lot of frustrations. I think people have moved, moved on from it uh, outside of some of the lawsuits that we see out there. And you're mentioning Beijing, sort of the uncertainties around that. But, I mean, what's, what's it tracking like now in terms of fans potential for fans is it looking good um things like that or is it still just so uncertain that you just you just don't know yeah it's interesting you try to you try to read the tea leaves uh around uh you know these these kinds of things and clearly beijing's not going to launch a ticket sale program during the olympics or the paralympics because they're not they don't want to take any of the steam uh away from tokyo right they want the focus to be on the athletes the focus on the competition and the focus on you know 
uh, the successes, uh, you know, the stories that we're seeing out of that. So speculation is if we are going to see sales for, for fans, we're going to see them sometime likely being announced in September. So just a few weeks here as the Paralympics run up. Uh, you know, other things I've seen, and I think on the corporate side, every, every, I don't think there's a whole lot of planning, you know, with, with my, my uh, what I would say is my job portion of the part that I do for fun. Uh, you know, the tea leaves are saying that, you know, eight weeks ago, you could buy a, you could get a five-star hotel in Beijing for less than $300 a night. Wow. Two weeks ago, those all dried up. And now the cheapest one is close to $1,000. And this is for the this is for the Olympic period. Now, I was fortunate to, to get my hotel for the month at those lower prices, right? Um, because I was looking, I was curious what was happening. I was like, hey, let's let's take a flyer on this. These are refundable hotel rooms. But you know, the fact that all that's transpired, what that tell you know seems to indicate is that there are is interest in whatever's happening with these hotel rooms, whether the hotel is blocking them off or they're getting bought, you know, bought up or whatever it is. There's some activity, you know, happening there. Again. We can't predict what's going to happen with the pandemic, right? I mean, we have a surge currently happening in the United States, different places around the globe are in different places. And so, we, you know, you can't be certain on what China is going to do. I, you know, there's no direct flights into China from the U.S. right now. So there's still a lot of things that have to happen. I think there's some people that are optimistic that we'll see fans in some, in some state, whether it is just local or Chinese nationals, you know, that are able to go people living in China. Um, uh, rather than maybe in, the question really is, is will international fans be allowed to go? Which I can imagine then, even if they turn around and say, cool, yep, ticket sales are going, that it's not a case of them, people in those groups are going to be rushing to buy them because it's that uncertainty, right? And they don't want it to happen what's happening with Tokyo two weeks beforehand. Nope, yeah. sorry, no no, no events for you. I think that's right. And taking the risk of losing that 25, you know, 20, 25%, I don't think a lot of people want to do that. And I think the other part of it too is, what is, what is the venue capacity right now? Is it 50%? Is it 75 Is it 100%? I think a lot of those things will need to get, uh, we'll need to be closer to the actual dates and see see what's happening to really determine, you know, what's going to happen there. You mentioned your memories of the Olympics harking back to 84 for Los Angeles. Yeah. Obviously, in uh, seven years' time, we're going back to Los Angeles for 2028. I mean, we are. for yourself... As a, as a Californian, pretty exciting, but I guess also in your uh, industry, I mean, kind of what's that prospect going to be like? Obviously looking forward to Paris, but I can imagine that it's a bit of added excitement to know that post-Paris, you, you got literally a home Olympics. Yeah, you know, we've got, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting time in the U.S. the next, you know, seven years or so. You know, we do have the world combined World Cup with North America mm, yeah. in 2026, and so, you know, that'll be a nice kind of run test. And there is a lot of excitement uh, for, you know, L.A. 2028. You know, a lot of the venues here recently, I think uh, USC just or the Coliseum just completed their major upgrade. You know, it's one of the two homes of uh, the opening ceremony. Rose Bowl recently did a lot of upgrades. And, you know, SoFi has been open, but we just had the first you know, football game uh, there with fans uh, about two weeks ago. So I think we're starting to see a lot of the things that have been uh, that are being promised as part of the great experience of L.A. You know, 2028. I think there's a lot of excitement for that. Sponsors are already starting to line up. Uh, and, you know, with any Olympic Games, you know, a lot of what's set in motion is set in motion when the deals are announced, you know, seven, eight years, sometimes four years, right? All of the hospitality companies that are out there, they go in and buy the hotels on behalf of people. They buy, you know, they, they, they rent out all of these things. So I think a lot of that's already in place. But I think here in the U.S., there's going to be quite a bit of excitement. You know, we haven't had anything here since Atlanta 96, yeah. and it's going to you know, be 22 years. Is that my math right there? 32 years. 32 years since we've had an Olympic, you know, summer games uh, on, on, in the U.S., uh, even in North America. 
So I think it's going to be extremely well attended. <laughs> I think tickets are going to be hard to, hard to come by, uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot to do around the city. It's definitely one that I've bookmarked as, you know, I've unfortunately never been to an Olympics, but it's definitely one that I always bookmarked. Yeah. And obviously with Brisbane kind of getting the nod to it, kind of adds a, a few, you know, little exciting sort of prospects there to go to some games because I, I can imagine that, you remember going to London your first time going to Olympics and then I guess it kind of lights a fire that, oh, wow, okay, I've been to one. When can I go to a next one? When can I do this? I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to a Commonwealth Games, you know, kind of Olympics junior. So it's kind of lighting that flame then that all of a sudden people go to one. Let's just keep going to, to multiple Olympics. Uh, that, that's absolutely right. I, I mean, I've you know, I saw the Dodgers win the World Series last year. I mean, a lot of college football championships, other, you know, sport championships. And I think for me... You know, the day we landed in London in 2012, we went straight to the swimming venue. And that night, Michael Phelps won what was at, at the time his last uh, first gold medal, the first time around when he, when he retired. I think it was the 19th at the time. And I can't tell you the experience of watching your country's flag wave or uh, raise the very first time in person. It was interesting. When we were on the flight, my wife and I were talking like, my wife was just like, the one thing I want to see, Kenny, is just I just want to see that that U.S. flag raised at one, at one event here on the first night, you kind of have, have that great experience. And I see, and when, when, once you do that, I think, you know, maybe other countries that have um, fantastic, you know, whether it's rugby teams or whether it's soccer teams that, you know, more commonly do this. In the U.S., we have mostly city versus city stuff, right? There's not yeah. a lot of, you know, U.S. kind of level stuff. And I think seeing that there uh, for us real, really kind of hooked us. And we're like, man, we just, we, we, want, we want more of this. We want more of this. That's a, it's a great point you make with that because, I think in Australia, we're, we're a sporting nation, but we obviously, I think, get behind our net. Like, we do definitely have the whole city versus city things, but we're a very regional country. Like, you like a certain sport based on where you live in the country. Whereas, yeah. you know, when a Rugby World Cup's on or even recently Soccer World Cup, you know, we really get behind and that sort of stuff. Whereas for America, yeah, it really is just kind of the Olympics, it, it does seem, which is, brings you all together kind of for, for that sort of, um, you know, event. So, yeah, to be there in person, it must be such a unique thing. Because the thing I love about America, among many things I love about America, is just that you guys are going to be playing the national anthem and waving that flag no matter what the event, even before just a regular, you know, NFL game. And it's kind of on an international stage, it's even more so than what you guys are doing domestically. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is amazing. And, you know, I think we're really starting to grow, I think, as a country, at least in some sport. I think there's going to be a tremendous following for the World Cup, uh, Women's World Cup that's happening in New Zealand, Australia in just a couple of years here. Uh, I think we're hopeful that our U.S. men's team will qualify again at some point for the <laughs> Men's World Cup. But, out, you know, outside of those things, in terms of things that happen, you know, internationally, you know, we, we go to something like FIBA, like the basketball tournament, and we're kind of expected to win it, right? So that kind of, you know, it, I think there's a little bit, you know, less there. But when it comes to Olympic Games, I think the interesting thing about the Olympics specifically here in, in the U.S. is that we are, are the only privately funded Olympic committee, and most of our athletes – make 25 less than $25,000 a year, right? That that's what they live on. I think, you know, oftentimes, at least for me, when I see, you know, uh, an athlete, it's unexpected in an unexpected sport, you know, whether it's wrestling or whether, you know, whatever it may be, those are some of the stories I, I enjoy more than team USA basketball winning gold medal again. Right. Like, cause that's, that's kind of expected. I think that's also some of the things that pulls you together. Cause it may, it, it's kind of, I want to say it's like an underdog, but it's, it's somebody who is clearly not making millions of dollars for doing it for the love of sports because they want a challenge and they are your country person. And, and you really want to help, you really want to help support them in what they're doing. 
I I remember years ago I was in Colorado Springs and I did a tour of the U.S. Olympic yes. facility and it was it was it was so fascinating to learn like that was when I learned that it's privately funded and I can't even yeah. remember the dollar amount it equated to to like every gold medal you won it was amazing because then I think back to Australia and it's like well we're not privately funded there's there's government funding people complain that we don't get enough but then it also equates to well we're spending a lot of money on not much return whereas you guys actually spend not as much money and get quite a good return so it's sort of like it was an interesting model when i learned about that <laughs> yeah and i think it's something that you know um in some ways it's good because because government's not involved with it i think at least some of us you know think about it that way on the other side though it means that we all always are looking for people um, you know, to help help fund and, and help bring the next generation um, of Olympians forward, at least here in the U.S. When it comes to people like myself, Ken, who want to go to an Olympics one day experience as a fan, what advice do you have to people who are thinking about that? Like, one day I want to go to an Olympics. Like, kind of, what what is the best model for people to, to start off when it comes to, to ticketing and, and, and things like that to be able to experience an Olympic Games? Yeah. Well, my, my first advice is just do it. If you put it off, you're not going to end up doing it. And I think uh, you know, whatever amount of money or budget you're going to spend, uh, I think it'll be well worth uh, your, your your money. I think outside of that, what I would say is there's a few ways. Is you know, when you start thinking about it, again, you can you can plan to go four weeks in advance. You can put uh, you know, plan to go four years in advance. But I think most people start planning, you know, roughly a year to eighteen months in advance. Start with a budget. Figure out what it is. I mean, like I said, you can probably do a week in Olympics with five or six events for less than, you know, three or 4,000 US dollars, right? And if you do it right, I know people who did uh, Rio on much less than that, close to $1,500 for, for, for a week and went to a number of events. And then based on that, figure out what you want to do and see. Like, are, 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 do you want to follow a particular team? Do you want to follow a particular sport? Do you just want to kind of get a taste of everything? And then start building out your schedule. The temptation will be is to fill it with Olympic sporting events. But I have to be, you know, one thing I have to emphasize is that is not the only thing to do. Mm. Go to live sites, meet people from your country, from other countries, go to the hospitality houses. Most countries have them. Some of them aren't open. Some of them aren't. Experience the culture locally. Like those are all the other things outside of just sporting itself that I think will contribute to like, you know, which is a great kind of cultural experience. And you can join, you know, face, there's, there's Facebook groups like the ones that, 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 that I help with. Um, you know, ours are, you know, they're there for every single Olympics. And it's a group of four or five. And, you know, we might see seven or 8,000 people for Paris. They just work together to help people plan. They help advise like when hotels are available. Like if a hotel block opens up, you'll see a pop up on the group and you can pick up a hotel room. If there's a new sale of tickets out there, They'll announce that and say, hey, a bunch of tickets just went on sale in Canada and you can go out there and pick those up. So I would say is also lean on the on the backs of people who've been there before, because there's a lot of people out there like myself that just, you know, outside of, of work in the business side of things, I just wanted to have, see more people experience, you know, the joy of an Olympic Games and have that opportunity. And when people stare at it, they say, oh, my gosh, I got to think about Paris 2024. We really you know what I think about is, hey, make it as simple as possible and just get started. We often, with our guests, we sort of have a series of fun closing questions to, I guess, get yeah. to know you a little bit and everything along those lines. Don't know how they will equate to you just because they're sort of more athlete-based, but I've got a bit of a fun little thing here which I thought I would do with you, Ken, because we yep. did this during our Tokyo coverage because it was a question that I legitimately asked. I wanted to find out. We found out, but I want to test you as an American to see if you know the answers to this. I'm going to oh ask you what 
there are five summer sports, and these aren't including the the new sports that we just had in Tokyo, that the US have never medaled in in the Olympics and one winter sport. Could you name for me either all of these uh, or some of these? Uh, I am probably going to do terrible uh, on, on this. So let me think about this. Now, hadn't medaled before or have still have not medaled before? Still have not medaled. So there, I will say that there, yeah, well, I, I've sort of, I'm not, this doesn't include, I should say, yeah, the newer sports. So like, uh, yeah, karate, I'm guessing will be on that list. I think US medaled in sports climbing, didn't? you so i mean i guess you can kind of tick that off the list and uh yes and then three on three by three we didn't in men's because our men's team didn't make it but we did Mm in uh uh skateboarding uh bmx we did in surfing Uh, we did we did yep so yeah this this list is pre-tokyo so i will say just as a, a there's there's two so there's one sport here but two disciplines in the one sport that you haven't meddled in if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew I knew I knew that we won our first uh, women's uh, gold foil event in fencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that happened, uh, so that should be on that list. I think we won our first men's or team foil competition. Um, you know, I'm I'm probably going to be terrible at, at the rest of these. Well, uh, I would uh, guess like canoeing. I would guess that um, field hockey. Um, funnily but enough. Those, that, you yeah. must have meddled in both because they're not on this list. Uh, so the ones that I've got in front of me here, yeah. so the US has never meddled in badminton, never meddled in handball, uh, never uh, meddled yeah. in about that. table tennis. Yeah. And the two that surprised me here, because I think of gymnastics and I think, well, the US dominate in gymnastics, but not so in rhythmic and trampoline. Uh, never meddled yes. in rhythmic and trampoline. So, And the winter, uh, the winter sport, by the way, is biathlon. Never meddled in biathlon. So uh, right. it's fascinating because we, we had this whole conversation about like, like you know, America wins in everything. So like, okay, well, they're winning in fencing all of a sudden. These are a sport they haven't. So you kind of Google it up. And you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. The, 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 those are great trivia questions and uh, probably ones I should have known. Yeah, you can take that to a, to yeah, a trivia yeah, night or something. Exactly. I'm going to use that with my friends now. Now, in, in terms of, uh, you mentioned before, things like Facebook groups and everything along those lines, and also for, for your company with Ticket Manager and that, uh, plug plug anything you want to right now. Where can people check out what you do more so? And also any of these groups that pay, maybe people are interested in joining to kind of stay up to date with Olympics moving forward? Yeah, yeah. first and foremost, if you're interested in attending in, in Olympics, like I said, these groups are out there. They're all named whatever the uh, Olympics is and in planning and preparation. So, for example, we have Beijing. 2022 planning and preparation, uh, Paris 2024 planning and preparation, Milan Cortina, right? The same thing. So all those groups are there. There's just a simple questions because we get a lot of people coming in there that are either trying to spam or post, post political stuff. So we kind of have just a couple of basic questions with the rules in there. But once you just answer those, which is basically, hey, I agree not to like yell at other people and do whatever else, um, get in there and there's just a fantastic group of people helping out. And yeah, if you're a corporate or brand and, you know, as you manage looking at kind of your sports and sponsorships, and there's some ways that you can help out most companies, you do a terrible job of using all their assets for what they, you know, intended them to do, which is drive business. We're in the business of helping people do that as well as pull off a large event. So we'd love to help you out with that. 
I just want to say one thing before I let you go, Ken. Obviously, yeah. uh, I, I can imagine you're on board all the LA teams and everything in, in all the, the competitions. I'm I'm a Ducks fan, so I just want to say boo Kings. Can I just say that too? <laughs> well, well I, you know, you can. You can. I'll let Thank you get you. away with it this time. <laughs> I said that right at the end, so if you hang up on me, I've done the interview. Yeah, so I was exactly. like, sweet, it's great. Right. You know, I, I, can, I can get away with that. Ken, seriously, it's been a lot of fun learning a lot more about what you do, Olympic ticketing and everything along those lines. Best of luck moving forward. And fingers crossed for for Beijing that uh, you can get there and we can get some fans there as well and uh, really have the true Olympic experience come 2022. And maybe I'll see you there, Ben. Fascinating chat there with Ken. Really appreciate his time joining us on the show. And uh, should mention as well, Ticket Manager, of course, uh, ticketmanager.com is the website for that if you want to check out a little bit more about what he does. And if you want to follow him on Twitter as well, at Ken Hanscom is where you can find him. And the Ken Hanscom on Instagram if you want to check out what he's up to there. We've got some great interviews still to come here on Off the Podium, obviously. We're pumping them out. We've got a couple a week. We're loving doing this for you. We hope you're enjoying every single second of them as much as we enjoy bringing them to you, learning all aspects between Olympians and people behind the scenes and having bonus special episodes for you as well. Beijing's getting closer and closer. Are you excited? I am so excited. The Winter Olympics, the real Olympics, as I like to keep saying. So many great things to talk about between then and now. Or now and then. That didn't really make sense. If you want to follow what we're up to on the show, of course, search Off the Podium on all the social media channels. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. And hit us up on all the good podcasting platforms. Search Off the Podium, same place, and hit the subscribe button and leave us some feedback. Leave us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Big thanks again to Ken. Thanks for you for listening. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And as always, go left. Turn the Japanese up.